Welcome to the ATP podcast. I'm Seb Lozier, and with the first ATP Masters 1000 of the year, the BMP Paribas Open in Indian Wells just around the corner. This time, we are all American. Coming up, we hear from informed Tommy Paul, and we go behind the scenes with Sebastian Corder. But we start with a California native who recently reached the quarterfinals in Acapulco, and before that, the semifinals in Dallas. Marcos Giron sat down to talk with Candy Reed, and they started with a match he'll probably never forget. His first round encounter this year at the Australian Open with none other than the eventual champion, Rafael Nadal. It was interesting because I've seen him play, obviously, an insane amount of matches throughout the throughout my whole life, you know, growing up playing tennis. But that being said, I was kind of surprised with with his shot selection in the sense that kind of when you play him, you, you feel like he can do anything he wants on the court, but he's always makes the right decision. He's always able to choose a shot that gives him back in the point and gives him an opportunity. And he's very, and he, he always, whenever there's a marginal opportunity, he, he seems to always take advantage of it. He wasn't just blasting winners. You know, you, you see him in practice absolutely annihilating the ball, and you know he has the ability to. But he doesn't play like that. He works his way into the point. You think his shot's open, and he gives himself time to get back into the point. And as soon as you hit, leave a ball a little shorter, he's very quick to take advantage of it. And when he's on defense, he's always able to negotiate it. And, and, uh, and yeah, and like I said, if you leave the ball short, he takes advantage of it. And next thing you know, five shots later, you're behind the Melbourne side and he's hitting a short forehand winner. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite, yeah. uh, quite distressing, isn't it? You know? So I suppose, what have you learned from that? Is there anything you can apply to your game? Oh, absolutely. I think it's just, uh, you know, it's, it, it's seeing that these top guys are not redlining by any means. You kind of think, you, you see guys that play that they're going full gas and you think oh my god that is incredible tennis but that's not really how the best do it they're able to play at a level that's very sustainable and you know you know it's very repeatable and and they're able to apply pressure over time and it it's <laughs> there's a reason why they're that good but but it's it's good to see that so i'd like to know a little bit about your career how did you start playing tennis i started playing tennis when I was about five six and and my like my grandfather played once a week my dad played maybe once a week not that much and I was just like, I was just, but, but, not, but they played a little bit. And so that's how I got introduced. And my mom would take me to the park and feed me some tennis balls. I was a super active kid. I'd play soccer, I'd run, play tennis. And, and so, yeah, I kind of started with just at a local park being hand-fed some balls. And next thing you know, um, played a little bit more, played with my sister. And then I started playing tournaments. And I, I, I seemed to be doing the best in tennis rather than the other sports. And so... Uh, yeah, when I was about 11 or 12, that's when I really started playing only tennis. Of course, I'd play pickup basketball and, and still be super active and not just completely overdue in tennis. But yeah, that's really when I kind of started playing nationals and started doing well in nationals. Uh, that, that, that's when I really started focusing more and more on it. Looking back, how important is it to play other sports? I think it's it's huge. I mean, there's so many guys that I, I, think, I think it helps with coordination and just athleticism and being able to uh, yeah a lot of coordination and athleticism and also I've seen so many good players that have been like tennis 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 where it's been kind of forced upon them and they're fantastic and by the time they're 17 18 they don't really love it and there's I, I can't imagine how many guys out there that could could be winning slams that just didn't want to do it mm. and so I think I think for me it's always been a choice of mine to play and compete and so I love doing it and it's never been forced upon me so let's go back to 11 year old Marcus hey, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, was it something you were immediately thinking I could be pro at this were no, you that good no I think it's interesting it, it, it's interesting I think many players here have a 
I don't know if they've had different outlooks than me, but I've always been the type that I, I always imagined, oh man, it'd be so great to be top 10 in the world to, you know, to play these slams. But I've always taken things kind of a, one thing at a time. Like when I was 11, 12, I'd be like, oh, it'd be great to like win my matches here in Southern California, these nationals. And then I fin- I'd finish the year top five in the nation. And then when I go to the 14s, I, I had, uh, you know, I'd start, you level up and you feel like, oh man, these guys are really good. And next thing you know, a year goes by and you finish top 10, top five, one in the nation. And and then 16s again, you know, it's kind of an interesting process where I feel like I've kind of take each step as it goes and I, I improve and I improve until until the next thing. And same with college. I go to college freshman year, I finish 70 in the nation. And then after that, I was able to finish 13 and 13 in the nation and then the following year, finish one in the nation. And so I feel like that's kind of how I've always approached it is, you know, of course I have the long-term goals, but I've kind of taken it, taken it one step at a time mm. and, and taking care of what's in front of me. And I, once I do that, then I move on to the next step. And uh, I feel like that's kind of been the case also in the pro career. You know, I started, I started winning futures and then I went to challenges. It took a while, but once I started winning challenges, came to, this, to, to ATP events and now I feel like, you know, at first it was like, okay, qualify, win some matches, go to the slams, win a couple of matches. And I feel like that's kind of the next step is, you know, not, now last year I won a lot more matches. I was, I think I won more matches than I lost, honestly, like in ATP events and uh, last year. And so I feel like if I keep continually, continuing, I gain more confidence and I keep developing my game and keep getting better and hopefully that translates and I can win tournaments and be playing in the second week of slams but yeah I still want to keep continuing to improve and hopefully see where that you know who knows where that takes me so let's just go back to 17 16 17 when you started to think about a pro career or going to college yeah, yeah, sure. and you chose college. the college route yeah, yeah of course again you know I, I for me when I played juniors I played a lot of like men's opens I'd play nationals and I but I didn't try I played orange Bowl. I, I made finals of 16 orange bowl but then when I was but then I didn't really play that many ITFs. Mm. And so I, all of a sudden, they had three in SoCal. They had like Car- uh, the Claremont grade four, Carson, which was a grade one, and Easter Bowl. I ended up winning all three back to back. And so Nick, I was ranked 30 in the world, and I was like, huh, you know, maybe I should go play the Slams. <laughs> and, and I did okay. You know, I, I think I made around 16 of all of them. I, I didn't play Australian Open, but then, um, but then I ended up finishing like 13 in the nation. But I, I don't know, at the time, it was like, you know, uh, Maybe if I'd won a junior slam and I had some big offer, who knows? But I didn't quite think that I was ready. I'd played futures, but I, and I won some. I had some ATP points, but I hadn't really done amazing. So I, I didn't think that I was really ready for it. And I'm glad I, you know, I, I'm glad I went the college route because I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to travel the, ma- the amount that I have to now. Because of that, you know, I think I think playing a lot in SoCal and a lot in the nation it was good for development. But I wasn't really used to the grind of traveling. Um, to that point, and I think it was a good time for me to kind of mature emotionally and also just kind of get experience uh, playing with guys that are a little older than me. And it was a good, it was a good stepping stone. And I think you see it with Nor, you see that with, I mean, Kevin Anderson, John Isner, there's a Mackie, Ke- Ma- Maxime Cressy, <laughs> so many guys that have done it. <laughs> Steve Johnson, of course. So I think it's good. It, it, it's good for many players, but for me, it was the right call. I was not ready to be thrown to the walls. And you picked UCLA, which yeah. seems to be a hotbed of uh, <laughs> talent. You've mentioned Cressy and Mackie McDonald, yeah. and they're just two of the fantastic players along with you that have come out of UCLA. So why did you pick UCLA? <laughs> I mean, who doesn't look good in blue and gold, right? <laughs> no, uh, it, it was actually going to be, it was actually a close decision between USC and UCLA, but I, I just really loved the program at UCLA. Mm-hmm. I really vibed with the guys on the team in it. And uh, I just one of those things that you visit multiple schools and I just it felt like the right place for me and uh, I couldn't be happier with that decision. 
And then, so how many years did you do at UCLA and when did you choose to go pro? I went three years, so I've got one more year to graduate, so I'll need to do that. Um, yeah, I went three years, and I kind of, again, like taking it one step at a time, it was like my freshman year. I actually, first tournament of the year, I broke my wrist playing tournament tennis match, and so it kind of was like, well, I got to enjoy the college experience. Um, um, and then, but, 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 I, uh, but that year was an incredible, was, it was an amazing year, like playing with your teammates, and it, 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 tennis is amazing when you've got a team around you and you've got to play for them. It, it, it's really amazing. We lost, we lost to SC in the, in the semis of that, which was tough. The next year we had a battle in NCAAs. We lost to, uh, we lost in the finals and, um, and then the semis next year. So we, did, we couldn't win it as a team, but then I ended up winning NCAAs my junior year. And that year I had won, like, I'd won three of the four futures that I'd play in college. Uh, you know, I was at four, 400 or something, which, you know, which is, which was pretty good for the 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 few the, the amount of tournaments that I played that year, and so it was a mix of you know I'm doing well in the futures tour, and then um, and then also I win NCAs, I get an opportunity to play the U.S. Open, a Grand Slam, get some good prize money to be able to you know help fund the career, and I felt this is a good time. I feel ready to go and compete. Will you go and uh, finish your degree at some point? Uh, I mean that's the plan. <laughs> Unless you know who, who knows how many. <laughs> I can win a few more of these. Maybe not. We'll no, you see. don't need to. <laughs> I love it. I actually went to University of Tennessee and played tennis. Ah, no kidding. And the orange and white didn't work with my pasty <laughs> skin at all. So blue and gold would have been much better. Um, so you mentioned the wrist injury. How did you break your wrist? Incidentally, did you fall on it? Yeah, I was playing uh, my first tournament, Tulsa All Americans. I qualified on first day. It was two matches and won the first match and the second match. It was, a, it was a hot day. It was a grind, and I actually had match points. The guy was serving 5, 6, 30, 40 match point, and I was kind of had the feeling of cramping. Mm. And so I came to net, and he had a lob, and I knew at that moment if I jump, I'm going to cramp, but it's match point, and the match could be over. And so I jumped up, both legs completely locked out, and uh, and I just like landed on the ground, and I didn't realize it, but I was, I was on the ground kind of like in the fetal position because I was cramping, <laughs> like in both legs. And... Uh, and in college, you got no, you have no warning, so it's immediate time violation, point penalty. And now he's serving game point, and I don't know to notice my wrist or anything because I'm just, uh, I'm just cramping. And so I kind of hobble to the baseline, and I feel my wrist is kind of fun- feels funky. First return, just shooting pain. And I kept on playing a little bit until midway through the tiebreaker when I start playing left-handed, and my coach was like, well, you, well, "What's happening?" Um, and so yeah, so I fractured my sc- scaphoid, and and so I was in a cast for like six weeks. But then after that, uh, yeah, then after that, got back into it. Now, of course, we know that injuries and in professional sport are just part yeah, of the game. Part but of you it. have had a couple of hip surgeries yeah, since. Yeah. What's that been like? Uh, so, so it was tough because after turning pro, I kind of felt my hips a little bit early. But it seemed to be every time that I put a good training load in, every time I started feeling fit and like I was moving well, my, my hip would flare up. And it, it, it lasted about like a year and a half. Until I was just like, you know, this is, it's getting to be a point where I can't, you know, in a sport where the margins are so small, and especially, you know, I'm, a, I'm like 5'10", 5'11", I'm not the biggest guy, so movement is critical. Uh, and so it was just tough because it was like, you know what, I, I never really gave myself a fair shot. It felt like I was just always being hindered by it. And so it sucked and it, it was a process. I ended up having both hips done and it took, I mean, it took about 10 months really to kind of heal up and to feel good. Um, but it was good because in the sense that I, you know, it was like, you know, it felt like a means to an end to me. And so it was like, yeah, it's going to take time. I actually went back to volunteer assistant coach at UCLA. So I was still kind of involved in the game and 
got to be around some of my teammates, which is fun, our old teammates. And uh, but yeah, it, it was actually for me. It was it was it took time, but I was pretty pretty optimistic that it'd be for the best. And uh, the college system, I think, builds a lot of camaraderie, and that's oh, yeah, essential, yeah. isn't it, on the pro tour, oh, yeah. where it's probably lonely life. And there's a, a really lovely group of Americans of a similar age and a similar ranking. Does that help you as you play on the tour? Oh, amazing. It's, well, it's amazing. Because tennis is such an individual sport, but, I mean, uh, that being said, none of the people that are here couldn't make it on their own. You know, it's, mm. it's, but that being said, it's amazing playing on a team and then also seeing all the other guys, like, it, it it absolutely like when we see another guy do well it gives us hope and you know i we get stoked for each other and so and the support and seeing that you have the level you know it's you know it kind of goes hand in hand and so it's great having a community that you kind of players that have all kind of gone through the same experience and do well there's a lot of uh, of course coming you know after the agassi sampras courier <laughs> time where people have said well there's no american players but now there's a, a really healthy bunch isn't there yeah, yeah. and of course america has such other great sports and when people go to high school the mm. great athletes which generally tennis players are go basketball or yeah, yeah. american football or baseball um so it, there's always been a great group but it seems more than ever now yeah. you've got a really excellent group with taylor fritz you mentioned him uh, tfo and tommy paul and yourself um so it, the future is very bright isn't it in american tennis no i absolutely think so i i think having groups of guys is phenomenal i think even if you look back at at all the history of like a pretty much you have, uh, like you were saying, with Pete Sampras, Agassi, Curry, or Chang, it seemed like there was a huge group. Then, of course, they were unbelievable. Then you, I mean, you had France, you have Spain. It seems like, mm. it seems like countries come in bunches. And, and again, I think it goes back to, like, when one guy does well and you're part of a group, you realize, huh, I can do this. And it gives you drive and motivation that you can do. And I think they're, they're all just phenomenal athletes, and we're all good players, and we're all super competitive, and we feed off it, each other's success. And it, and so I, th I think seeing guys that you, you're around all the time do well, it, it gives you confidence and you can build off it also. Marcus Giron speaking with Candy Reed, And from one American on the up to another. Hey guys, I'm Sebastian Corda. Come check out what I travel with. <laughs> 21-year-old Seb Corda, one of many players arriving in Indian Wells with all of their creature comforts. I have my... Travel socks from Adidas. Always wear them, especially especially on longer flights. We we travel a lot, so always always try to kind of protect the body in any way that we possibly can. And, and these are a super big help for me. Number two, always go with some headphones. Um, always traveling with these. You'll probably not see me without them um, on the flight. Noise cancellation. Um, fast asleep with these and. Yeah, super comfortable. I think these are the best ones that I've tested out and, and they've been with me for the last uh, two, two and a half years. Um, what are you jamming out to before a match? Martin Garrix. <laughs> I'm a big Martin Garrix fan. I, um, anything that kind of just brings me up, something like dubstep, EDM, house, just anything to get me going. I got my computer that I travel around with. Bunch of movies, especially especially on the long flights. A lot of TV shows, um, Netflix, Disney, everything. I actually just downloaded Boomerang. It's this, uh, this app, and you can watch like all like the Flintstones, the Jetsons, Tom and Jerry. So I just got into that, and um, yeah, so that's been taking up my time whenever I'm relaxing. Moving on, we got we got like 3D glasses. You plug it into the to the computer. You have like this uh, program. You gotta like 
track uh, four balls out of eight and they kind of just like throw it around everywhere and after a couple seconds you gotta you gotta guess which one's which and kind of track them around. I think it's really helped me with my uh, with my speed of my eyes and, and, the, and with returning especially I think it's uh, super important and it's one of the things that I've implemented into into my training recently. Got my wallet, take this everywhere with me. Um, just a bunch of hotel keys. I got, I kind of collect them. Actually, I have one, one, I got a joker in there. You keep the joker in there all the time? Yeah, because I actually learned how to throw cards. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I just take them everywhere, oh, wow. basically. Um, just throughout the year and and, uh, and then at the end of the year, I kind of just put them away and just see how many hotels I stayed in. Uh, do the same thing with airplane tickets, just to see how many I have. And I think it's a nice kind of like memory of where you've been throughout the year. So it's uh, one of the things I, I travel with uh, everywhere. And yeah, just, it's a nice little, nice little monster on the front as well. I got it for Christmas for my mom. And last one, I have my glasses. Um, take these everywhere. Yeah, I think they're, they're stylish, they're something different than to everything else. Makes me look a little smarter, hopefully. And yeah, just um, can't live without these. These are, these are my first ever glasses that I've had, and yeah, they're just, uh, I think they're really cool. You normally wear contacts? I do, when I play, I wear, I wear contacts. I wear, I wear contacts, and whenever I'm off court or don't have my contacts in, I'm, I'm always wearing glasses. you guys enjoyed with what I travel with and hopefully see you guys on the road. Seb Corder with ATP Uncovered and for even more on him don't forget to also listen to Anne-Marie Batson's chat with his coach Dean Goldfine fresh on our podcast channel this week on Apple, Spotify and Google Podcasts. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Rafael Nadal has started 2022 with a 100% record. 15 wins from 15, his best ever start to a season. But not too far behind the great Spaniard is America's Tommy Paul, whose nine wins have already taken him to three quarterfinals and a semifinal in Delray Beach. Also his best ever start to a season. So how has he made that happen? Jill Krabus went looking for answers. I think it's just being more consistent. Like I, I would go through tournaments where I kind of played really well for one week and then like the next week I could like not show up. And right now I feel very confident in being uh, more consistent and like being able to show up week to week. And uh, I think that that's probably because of like the, the work I put in like in the gym and getting stronger there and then also on court, I play, I mean, I'm practicing a lot and I'm practicing very hard. So being like working on everything, like working on your practice game and working on your fitness, because if your fitness isn't there, then it's impossible to keep your level the same because maybe the next week you're going to be tired and then your level goes down. So uh, I think everything has a little bit to do with it. But I mean, I've been working hard, you know. Yeah, I know you can see it on, on the court. And I know you also started recently working with Brad Stein. I know you know him for a while, yeah. but um, consistently working with him recently. What what do you feel like he's helped you with the most? Uh, I mean, everything. I mean, Brad's a, I don't know, he knows a lot about the game. He's been around the game for a long time, and uh, he's very smart. I mean, with everything, I mean, when we're even when we're not on court, we're talking about tennis a lot, and I think that helps just like watching other people's matches or, or even just like bringing up matches from the past and what I could do better and 
what I did well and what I can keep working on. I mean, just a lot of tennis talk and a lot of uh, translating that to the practice court and then ultimately translating it to the match court. Are you able to reveal a little bit more specifically what you've been working on that's helped you? Yeah, I mean, I, I worked on my serve a lot, worked on my uh, backhand slice. I worked on my, I'm coming in a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, he's been trying to get me to come in more for a while now, but I think lately I've kind of committed to it a little bit more. I'm, I think I'm finding the net much more during my matches, so I think that's been a big part. Is that something that you feel like was maybe a little bit more unnatural for you in the beginning and you almost had to like force yourself to do it or were you kind of excited to incorporate that into your game? Both. I mean, I was excited to do it because, I mean, I like uh, I like being at the net and showing reflexes and volleying well, but uh, at the same time, it's not something I've always done. So, I mean, it's just been a lot of practicing it and getting used to it, but at the same time, I was excited to mm -hmm. do it. Do you play a lot of doubles? I try and play doubles as much as I can. I was going to say, is that something you're trying to incorporate? Yeah, but I've always tried to play doubles. It's just like when you're ranked between like 80 and, and 150, like there's no doubles. Like you can't play doubles because yeah. you're, as soon as you're done in singles, you're leaving to the tournament the next the next day to play qualies. So whenever I could play doubles, I, I have. And uh, it just sucks when you have to like leave for a tournament and leave your partner mid-tournament. Like you play one match and then you're gone. And I know throughout your career, unfortunately, you've suffered, a, had to go through a few injuries that you've had to, you know, come through it. How much of a struggle was that? And has that changed how you've sort of worked fitness-wise off court? Yeah, it's, it's definitely changed uh, the way I take care of my body off court. Like, I spend more time on my body, more time mm -hmm. stretching, more time with physios, and uh, just taking care of everything a little bit more. And then also doing a lot more maintenance in the gym with my trainer. But, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a struggle like every time I'm out but I don't know in some ways it's been good some ways it's been bad I think uh, some of my injuries have allowed me to reset and kind of find a, another love for the game that I didn't have before because uh, I've had some times where right before I got injured I was like not loving the game too much and then you get some time away from it and you refine it you know you go two weeks without like looking at a tennis court and then two weeks later you find yourself watching watching every match that's going on and then you're like oh I really want to be out there and then I don't know it just uh, kind of sparks something sometimes. Do you feel like the injuries may have contributed to that mindset a little bit because it's always tough to love it when you're not 100% in the body. Yeah um, no I mean the, I, I, had a different I, think, mentality. I think every player's had a little love hate with tennis at some point you know I mean whether it's injuries or just like sometimes it just sucks like not living a normal lifestyle like for me it was like when I was uh, 18 and I turned pro and all my friends went to school I was like they looked like they were having the best time and I was like oh like I don't know like I don't know why I did this like I wish I went to college blah blah, blah. I had a bad mindset and then uh, I don't know I mean as soon as I saw all of them like graduating college and going and sit behind a desk I was like you know like this is pretty good <laughs> this is pretty good so have you gotten to the point where you've been able to, I know, I know you say you're enjoying it more, but have you gotten to the point where you're able to have those moments off the court where you can enjoy yourself off the court and get yeah, away from tennis? Definitely. I mean, it's it's just like maturing, getting getting used to managing your time better. I mean, it's uh, as long as you get all the stuff done that you need to, and you, you'll, you'll usually have time to go do normal stuff. And I mean, I like to try and do that. What do you like to do? I mean anything. Right now, I've been hanging out with my uh, with my girlfriend a bunch, and 
I've been going playing basketball with my friends. I play as much basketball as I can when I'm not like hurting or whatever, or too tired. But I try and get out there a lot, play basketball, go to sporting events. Uh, you know, maybe go to a bar sometimes, <laughs> uh, get a few drinks, play some golf, go to the beach. I like being outside. You like doing a lot, yeah. I like being outside yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, and I know, I know. Recently, you've said you're trying to take more, a little bit more responsibility. What exactly does that mean for you? Did I say that? I read that somewhere. Yes. Wow. That was a, that, that was a direct quote. It doesn't sound like me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, is that inaccurate or is that? <laughs> no, no, that's probably true. I mean, I think I think so. I mean, I don't know what what I was talking about when I said that. Um, I think it's that taking more responsibility, like booking your own practices, maybe oh, taking yeah, care yeah, of little yeah. stuff, like those small well, details. It just maybe explain I was probably how that talking makes a about, difference. I was probably talking about when uh, when I'm home. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad lives in, in Fresno. Mm-hmm. So when I'm home, I'll uh, probably go like two weeks like by myself practicing without him, just me and my trainer doing fitness and, and me setting up practices and everything. And then like I'll fly him down and we'll do some work before he- heading to a tournament. But... Uh, I think that's more what I'm talking about. Like when when I'm just there with my trainer, I'm kind of in charge of my practices. Like I'll call Brad and we'll talk about what I need to be working on and everything. But most of the time, it's just me like setting up my hits and and kind of uh, doing my practice for myself and and you know running running everything. So I think that's a, a responsibility that I have gotten better with a lot. I mean, I've been with Brad for probably two years maybe a little bit more and uh it's been like that and at the beginning when we first started working together I definitely wasn't good like I would kind of I wouldn't tank practices like I, I I'd say like I work pretty hard in practice but I don't always run it the right way or I don't always set up the practices uh the best but I think I've gotten really good about that and I think that's just being a little bit more responsible with my career and I know I talked to Brad I interviewed about if um one of the things that you mentioned was you like to slide on the hard courts a lot and he was trying to yeah. get you to stop sliding a little bit was that difficult in the beginning because he says he's gotten a lot better at it yeah no I mean, we've had some serious arguments about this because <laughs> I mean arguably the best movers slide but I don't know I mean I've definitely fought less about it lately because I've been I've been running through and I've been hitting my shots a little better and I mean we'll still have arguments to this day about it but, was yeah. that just because you enjoy doing it so much? No, I don't, I don't enjoy <laughs> it doing habit. it. It hurts my feet, but oh, okay. uh, it's just like habit. I've done it since I was so young, and like I see the best movers in the world, like yeah. Demon R, right. Djokovic, and Monfils, and they're all sliding. I'm like, what do you mean? Like they're they're moving all right, you know? But I don't know. I mean, it's probably better for me, like uh, injury prevention, not yeah. not getting myself hurt to to run through a little bit more. Do you feel like it's helped your balance at all, or movement in particular? Maybe, yeah. I mean, I've been working on balance a lot with my uh, with my trainer Franco in in Boca. So my my balance problems aren't more on the sides of the court. It's more when I'm in the middle of the court and I'm, you know, running one direction and stopping. And it's not really about the sliding, but yeah, I mean, balance is something I've worked on a bunch. All right, and then just tell us, I mean, I know you said you like the outdoors a lot, but when you have a day off, is there anything else, is there anything other activities that you've really enjoyed to get your mind off? And are you, are you also an advocate of watching TV shows? And When I'm home, my girlfriend is, like, obsessed with TV shows, like any show, so she's more into reality TV, which I'm not too into, but, you know, she, she gets to pick what we watch, and I've been watching a lot of that, like a lot. What would you prefer? 
besides reality TV? Anything that you would prefer that you've seen recently that... Um, any advice you can give us all on what to watch? I mean, I don't know. I've been watching a lot of, like, the, the, the Bachelor in Paradise or, like, uh, Too Hot to Handle or those type of shows, and it's, like... Not not up my alley, That's but we do choice. it. Yeah. No, no yeah. but but I'll do it. And uh, I don't know. I just like shows like my one of my favorites is like Prison Break. Like I yeah. love that show. Okay. Or, well, you look like you're having a blast. I'm gonna let you go. Congratulations again, thank and you. Um, thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Tommy Paul, speaking with former WTA player Jill Krabus, and we'll have much more from Jill on the pod over the next couple of weeks. Finally this time, in a week where so much has gone on in Eastern Europe that so many of us are struggling to comprehend, we have a a very special, deeply personal piece with Serbia's Dusan Lajevic, remembering his war-torn early years. I'm 31 and I've been through two wars. It is hard for me to compare or describe the sound of the bombs to anything else that is like close to that, but you know, for somebody just to experience one war is probably hard enough, but uh, that we as a country live through two wars in such a short period of time, I think it's something that should not happen and uh, I mean, I can't emphasize enough from my own experience that I know how bad of impact that has on somebody. Right now, in this moment, when I talk about it, it's an uncomfortable feeling because it's so deep in your conscious that even when you just remember specific words like war this time, it brings the, the anxiety. The first one I don't remember too well because it was when I was um, three years old and until I was five or something like that. The second one was a NATO bombing of, of um, Serbia in 1999 and I was nine years old there. I remember pretty well that time because it was for 78 days straight, I think, and um, that just is something that should not happen to anybody, doesn't matter where they live. And uh, this for sure left a lot of trauma to everyone who, who lived there in this time. And, you know, just by thinking of this right now, I, I still get the chills because I think that uh, it's something, especially for young people in, in this kind of age, is, is something they don't understand fully. And it's, it's mostly um, overwhelmed by, by fear. Daily life was pretty much uh, non-existent because uh, the schools were stopped and uh, the, the country was in, in a probably red alert state and everybody was just trying to find a way to protect themselves. Uh, the military was mobilizing um, uh, men who are capable of going to war and uh, uh, as I was nine years old this time, I, I, I was not going to school, I was not practicing tennis. Uh, usually about uh, like maybe a couple, 15-20 minutes before the, the attack start, we have the alarm. Once the sirens go on, you have to go back, find the shelter, and then there you continue playing with your friends uh, from, from the neighborhood. But 
five kilometers from from my city was a military airport so they were they were hitting that airport pretty hard so when when the bombs hit so close it, it's just a, a frightening experience for anybody and there were times as I say um, um, that were hard and, and you feel the reality of the situation I would say that maybe one of the things that gave people of Serbia is the opportunity to present themselves in a better way in the world through sports because once after the wars were finished there were sanctions and it was uh, hard to really get out of the country or whatever travel anything like that so the only way was maybe through international sport and from there I think there were many many good things that were born Djokovic's success has driven us Serbian players because when you see one guy breaks top 100 Novak Djokovic most improved yeah, player of the year 2006 <laughs> what a beauty. then you start to believe and feel like maybe I could do it maybe somebody else could do it and then when you have this like atmosphere in, in, in among the players you feel that uh, it is possible because if they could do it somebody else can do it because they are coming from the same country same things same problems and I think this is a great example for anyone who is right now growing up and wanting to be a tennis player if he sees one Novak who came from the country it means a lot that everything is possible in this life only depending how much you you're willing to sacrifice for that to happen thank you to Dusan Lajevic for talking with ATP Uncovered. And for tennis's joint response to the current crisis in the Ukraine, that's from the ATP, WTA, the ITF and the four Grand Slams. Head to atptour.com. Next time, with the action already underway, we'll look back on the first few days in Indian Wells. We'll have more exclusive chats with players and coaches in the meantime, for more of the latest news, including Novak Djokovic's second and surely final split from longtime coach and mentor Marian Vida, and much more, head to the atptour.com website or the ATP Tour app. I'm Seb Lozier. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis. <laughs>